Hello and welcome to the Jewish Mother Me podcast. This is the podcast which ponders the question, Jewish mothers, should every home have one? My name's Angela Epstein. Naomi Lopian. And uh, on this episode, we are absolutely thrilled to have in our midst the award-winning, legendary school teacher, Mrs. <laughs> Gay Schindler. <laughs> and her slightly lesser well-known... <laughs> Uh, daughter Nicola Schindler who anybody unless they've been living in a dark place in a cave somewhere far away will be familiar with one of the many many dramas that she's brought to our screens Happy Valley it's a sin and has quite appropriately been garlanded for this and has actually received a lifetime award from BAFTA for her services to drama and to television so welcome both of you thank you, thank you. so um, as we always say to our, uh, our podcast listeners you don't have to be Jewish you don't have to be a mother we're just listening to the Jewish mother wisdom that went before us and sharing it hoping that people will walk away with something uplifting to help enjoy their day I know Gay from being the most wonderful teacher to my daughters and also mentor too and forever grateful. So thank you and it's lovely to meet Nicola too. And I'm wondering both sides, what was it like Nicola to be mothered by your formidable mother as she is and what was it like mothering Nicola? But maybe we'll go to Nicola first and then to you Gay, yeah. I don't think she felt formidable because she felt like my mum. So it's very different because she wasn't a teacher when I was young. How old was I when you started teaching? Oh, I can't remember, Nicola. I can't remember what date. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, I was in high school already. I was in senior school when uh, my mum started teaching. But brilliant, great, always there for us, when, whatever we wanted to do. I remember a lot of cuddles and a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> did, she, did she display, I mean, we often say about the Jewish mother, um, she has been the, you know, the victim of stereotype for good and, and bad reasons. We've seen Jewish mothers, Ridley Road, one of your amazing productions. We saw the Jewish matriarch played out there. But, you know, she's a lioness. She'll defend her children to the death. She'll feed them till they explode. Did you, uh, Mrs Shinder, who also taught my children, so I can't call her gay, <laughs> did you display those characteristics or were you aware of being such a Jewish mother? I would like to think so. Did did I? Yeah, definitely. Definitely protect you and, like, definitely created a feeling of family against everyone. We'd look after each other, whatever, and you had to look out for family first. And, yes, I felt if anyone did anything to me that would upset me, my mum would not take that lightly. No one knows those type of parents, (laughs) don't they? Doing battle at the school gate. So, Nicola is one of how many children? Three. Three Three girls. Oh, three girls also. And so it's all different. So, you... so we know, we understand each other. And you, just before we started the podcast, you mentioned how good they are with each other. And Tell especially me with Nicola's um, success. I don't feel any jealousy in any way between the other two sisters. And what position is Nicola? What number? Middle. Second. One of the characteristics of the Jewish mother is that she can, and again, we are absolutely wading through knee-deep in stereotype here, for which we make... No apologies. <laughs> but um, Nicola, I feel like we're at parents' evening. Actually, it's about, kind of like a counterintuitive. It is a counterintuitive parents' evening experience because these days, Nicola, you've probably done it. You know, you bring your own kids with you, so yeah. you're sort of you're sitting with your mum. 
Your mum was a professional person, as was your dad, who we can say is in the room with us. <laughs> Hello, Mr Schindler. Good morning. <laughs> um, did, did that in any way orientate you towards the ambitions that you would go on to so successfully fulfil? I think what I got, and I've always said this very much from both parents, was um, a love of reading and the arts. And that's kind of what I do. So from a really early age, I was taken to the theatre, any theatre that was on in Manchester, but especially the Royal Exchange. And even the opera and even classical music concerts, things that I didn't pro- I was probably too young to understand, but kind of put in my mind that the arts were important and they were talking about. And also I grew up in a house filled with books and I read and read and read. I mean, that you know, there was less distractions then, but also I did read an extraordinary amount. And I was never told not to read something. So I would go from Harold Robbins to Jane Austen, you know, at the age of eight. And I was absolutely fine with absorbing everything. And I would say it never damaged me. <laughs> but it made me kind of make judgments and, and learn how to critique. And a big part of my job now is about having an opinion. And I think I grew up being taught to have an opinion. And of course, you've said many times in, in interviews when you've been interviewed about your work that you have a particular relationship with the writer. The writer is obviously it's seminal to any production because without good words, you've not got good stories. But did that in any way inform the particular view that you've taken about the way you work with writers, having been so absorbed and soaked in in writing of all descriptions. Yeah, I think so, absolutely, because what I've always loved from a really age is story. So however story comes across, whether it was in television or a magazine, we we always got loads of children's magazines, didn't we? So I always read, even before I could read books, I was reading magazines. But just the art of storytelling. And and to me, what is exciting is seeing how a story is going to evolve, look at the decisions the writer's made as to how they're going to tell that story. And, and I think um, <laughs> explaining story to my mum was a big part of my yeah. upbringing as well. She's, uh, we watched a lot of television and a lot of the time we'd have to say... <laughs> God, say. <laughs> say... Well, why was that man there? What was, who, who is he? What you mean he from doing? Nicola's productions? Yeah, for, yes, but from no, others but as well. When I, was, I, I remember watching Coronation Street when I was seven and you'd always say, who's he? And I'd have to explain he came in three episodes ago, but probably what's going to happen. Is and I would always explain. Oh, you'd always know what was going to happen yeah. three weeks later, That's and amazing. we all used to sit there saying, "How do you know that?" Yeah. <laughs> and funnily enough, one of my daughters does exactly the same thing, wow. and she always gets it right. Now she always predicts. Well, she's really good on story and who did it. She's very good at who did it. What oh, event I really it that mm. What a gift! My mother-in-law had that, but then it didn't irritate you that your mum would ask that you actually enjoyed it and you grew from Probably it at times. during the programme <laughs> saying Shh, I want to hear what's happening. It was happening. before a pause button so at times it was <laughs> a, bit, a bit annoying. But it's nice that you watch together as yeah. a family and that's because I was going to ask you where were you given the forum to express an opinion was it around the Shabbat table or was it watching television? No it was watching or, television. Right. Um, it was the, yeah I think every evening we would watch from a tea onwards until we went to bed and we would talk about it and all kinds of different things whether it was you know ask the family quizzes or so <laughs> and seeing that your dad is here and it's yeah. unusual that we have that involvement but seeing that you're here Mr Schindler was dad much involved in the parenting yes. was dad a Jewish mother at all <laughs> he wasn't present at times when he was working a lot. yeah he worked very hard yeah but when he was present yes very much involved so I think of the five of us watching television well I think of the four of us and my dad with a massive newspaper in front of his face, but occasionally joining in. So he was watching, but through the newspaper. How much did the Jewish experience inform who you would become? Not necessarily at levels of observation, but in terms of the Jewish identity. Tell us a little bit about that background. 
Well, I would say we didn't have a particularly observant Jewish household, but we had a very cultural Jewish household. So I grew up mostly in Rochdale, which didn't have a big Jewish population, but because they had come from that North Manchester Jewish ghetto, <laughs> then they brought a lot of that with them. Not in terms of religious observation at all, but in terms of culturally probably so. The books that we read, the things that we watched, the films that we talked about, were all very much informed by a lot of Jewish artists. And then from the age of 12 or 13, I started going to BBYO and then got very involved. BBY is uh, the B'nai B'rith Youth Organisation, which yeah. is a, a national Jewish um, youth organisation. International, international beg, beg your pardon. I mean, talking of international, Noemi, you know better than me. Noemi is the, is the daughter of two Holocaust survivors. My grandparents came here at the turn of the century. What was your background, Mrs Schindler, like? Nobody talked in our family at all about things like that. Not anybody. I have no idea. My father came from London. My mother came from Manchester in uh, Waterloo Road area. She was the last one of six or seven and very spoiled. She was the youngest. But nobody said a word. I mean, my husband asked my father more questions than I was allowed to ask him. Did you get anywhere? Not particularly. No. no, not particularly. But you know where they came from? I think my father was more religious than my mother. But they come from Austria. Was he dad from Austria? Honestly, I don't Poland know. and Austria is what I've always been told. So it's interesting because there was an heir then. You grew up with Nicola very open. She was, had access to yeah. all the books, everything, theatre, culture. Nothing was taboo. And you felt it was unspoken that you couldn't even ask your parents. But it was too never. painful, would you say? Or it was just you, you didn't go there? And it just never happened. It was only since my children grew up and got more interested in things like that that I thought, you know, we never discussed it. Never. But one of your relatives has sent oh, yes. a book of... On my father's side, one of my relatives has done a very big book yeah. on um, the family tree, uh -huh. going back to, what, the 17th century? The 18th century. That's fascinating. Where are they from? That is Poland and Austria. Who? Poland and Austria. Your yeah. dad's yeah. family, the family oh, tree. Yeah, yeah, my father's family, but he never, never mentioned it. And we live in such a documented age now because Noemi's father survived, what, seven concentration yeah. camps and, and wrote a book that was published in Germany in the late 60s and Noemi spent, what, three years translating it for publication I've read, here. I read the book. Um, did you read it, The Long Night? So it's interesting the way how much we know about our families informs the person that we would become. So how much of... I'm sorry, Mrs Schindler, I have to keep calling you Mrs Schindler. It's fine. I just see you sort of marching down the corridors of, of school. How much of Mrs Schindler is Nicola Schindler? 50%. <laughs> but in terms of the personality, would you say? I don't know. It's so hard to judge, isn't it, when you're that close to someone. Definitely there are elements... And there were elements when <laughs> that I actually said to my, I actually texted my daughter last night, I said something to her and then I said, I know I sound exactly like my mum. And she just sent one back saying, you are. I was actually joking. <laughs> what but did you do? Like to yeah, say. Yeah. She, I, I asked the guy I work with to text her from the university she's going to go to, to tell him. And he sent the loveliest text. So I sent one back saying, oh, maybe you'll get married. <laughs> <laughs> Thing to do. Oh. It was such a that he was, it was so nice what he put and written and everything. But I was joking, fish. But then, yeah. but I heard, but I heard well. my mum. Yeah, but I heard my mum in that. No, lots of things. I think lots of things. Yeah, definitely. I think the way we like. I was going to say the way we eat. I don't mean that. But the way we think about food, the way we 
think about family, the way we get together, yeah, loads of it has come from what I saw my mum do. How yep. many children have you got? Three. And girls, boys? Two girls and a boy. And where's the boy? The prince? The youngest. The youngest. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. Yeah. So you, you went, after leaving school, you went to Cambridge, which is your dad's alma mater, to the same college as yeah. well. Did you know Mrs. Shin? I call you Mrs. S to kind of just <laughs> create more time on the podcast. Um, did you know that, that, that Nicola was going to be sort of academically, was it clear early on? Or was the, as the, was the teacher in you as well as the mother sort of orientating her that way? Not so much academically, but socially. From a very, very young age, she always won everything. For example, Brownie of the Year, Brownie of the Month, every month in one year, apart from August. And when we asked her why not August, she said it closed down for the summer holiday. And when I asked her why, why why are you winning every time, she said, it's dead easy. You have to put a string. Yeah. <laughs> I remember you saying this to me. String, a piece of paper and a pencil in your pocket and then you can win. Come prepared. Yeah. Did, did you feel there was any pressure to achieve? No, it doesn't all. sound like there was. No, no. not at all. But also, but I, it's please. just something I enjoy doing. So I don't think I went to Cambridge because I was academic. In fact, I know I didn't. Yeah, I started studying law, but then yeah. went on to study history. But it's just that I knew how to give people the answers they wanted in order for me to get the places I wanted to be, including doing exams. But that's the art of living, give people the answers. How many relationships would be better if we (laughs) gave people the answers they wanted to hear? And particularly, I think, in in in-law relationships, here we've got mothers and daughters, but when it's daughters-in-laws and mother-in-laws, I always say, if you tune in, it's a real gift because you're tuning into a person, a human being, and know exactly where they are and what they they want. It's not just altruistic though it gets no. you what you want as well and where you want to be so I think I just took that as a lesson really early on did you start law and change courses yes. because obviously your, your dad was yeah. a successful is a successful lawyer yeah did you feel compelled to study law or influenced by him to make that choice and how did you feel when you then swapped courses I guess I'd seen that's, that's probably the job that I've seen in action the most so yes I was influenced in that respect but the minute I got there I realized that it wasn't what I was going to do professionally which I kind of knew at the back of my mind anyway so then I thought there's no point carry on doing it because it's really hard <laughs> I may as well do something I'm really interested in if I can change and I managed to change and and then I was only doing history only doing it because it was just fascinating to me as a storyteller as another way of looking at stories and characters and people but you started off as a publicist when you when you left Cambridge so you were sort of telling other people's stories in a in a very particular way I wasn't really a publicist I was someone who put leaflets in envelopes but and it's only because I wanted to work <laughs> at that theatre so it's I a good got, title yeah I got a job True. at the Royal Court Theatre which was the home of new writing so that's why I wanted to go there so I just knew if I got in there then I could find my way into the writing team your career has this rocketed I mean there are so many questions we could ask you about that how much of the choices that you've made I mean some of the things you've you've produced have been quite juicy and some of them have been quite on the edge I mean that's the whole point of television it opens the entire world to us do you ever have that moment when you're looking through splayed fingers and thinking, what will mum say? And no, because I know she'll love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm remember in, the, in all the magazines, I've learnt everything I know about S.X from my mother. Did Nicola put that? Tell us is more. it true? Yeah, is it true? Nicola, press pause. Oh, that is juicy. <laughs>
tell us later. I've cut it out. I've still got it, Nicola, so you can't deny it. I think that's, again, what I mean is just that any question I wanted to ask, anything I wanted to look at or read was always open to me, so it was never an issue. Then it doesn't become a problem in your head and it doesn't become a barrier in your head. But I think those subject matters are what make good drama. You know, so I think, you know, I can make very mainstream dramas like Last Tango in Halifax, but there's still an edge to them and there's still darkness to people and that's what makes things entertaining I think because we see that in ourselves that's what comes across when we when we walked uh, into your studio we were saying the variety of human stories that you've produced is such a huge range and I said you love human beings because you you have such a huge spread um, and such an aspect so it doesn't come as a surprise to me but what's wonderful to watch and what I want our listeners to see through our words is that warmth between mother and daughter and it's not a given that sort of open they're hugging now listeners (laughs) which is lovely which is not a given because even like with sex education it could be very awkward I know that my own mother left a book lying around called The Little Eye and it was a little biology book that taught you about the nervous system and the abdominal system and then there was sex and I when I found out about sex I thought oh this is not how Jewish people make babies. This is just how everybody else makes babies. And I was nine, and I was always immature, and my husband will still sound a bit slow um, in all these areas. So, I'm a grandmother, something must have worked. So it's just wonderful to see that, that openness, and that's really a, work. That we had walk. that hilarious book, do you remember? That with 70s people with long beards and everything. <laughs> How Babies Are Made. I think Freya's still got that book. Really? I'm sure she showed it because it's just hilarious. It wasn't. Sex was everywhere in our lives, but it was just... It was just Part something. of yeah, it. Yeah, but, like I say, when I, think, when I think there's nothing that you can't talk about, then nothing is scary. Absolutely. I think we thought we were being trendy. And liberal. Trendy and liberal as parents. I've no idea whether we were. <laughs> M- Mrs we were. Schindler, can I ask you? So when, when obviously, because... Nicola has a gold standard brand and we know when her company produces something we are in for mm. a ride when it comes to watching television. How does it work with you? Do you get a preview or are you with the rest of us in anticipation of the new dramas that come out? Mostly the latter. We used to have screenings before Covid didn't we? Actually, yes, we, we, we've, we've seen a few beforehand but in the main I just join in with everybody else. I, I hear Nicola talking about it. For years in advance of people seeing it. Yeah, and I sort of get ideas, but they're usually wrong anyway. <laughs> and when I, people have asked me what happens at the end, and I, I really don't know, I ask Nicola, should I'm not telling you. <laughs> have so, you got a, a standout? I mean, there are all, I mean, there are so many dramas we could mention here, and dramas to come, which I'm, we'll talk about in a minute, which I'm very excited by. But anything in particular that stood out as a, as a piece of her work that you were just wow that's my little girl oh every time every single time she's made anything I'm always very proud we keep the television on until the very end and when it comes to producer I love that we all have to clap <laughs> even if I'm in Quite. bed of course did you know this yeah <laughs> well, I think we, we tend to clap things anyway quite regularly yes that's proper what we, what we call um, in Yiddish. Is Yiddish or Hebrew nachas? Yeah, yeah. That's oh, proper old-fashioned nachas. Is that the, yes, your our German Absolutely. expert? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, something like It's a Sin was a groundbreaking drama, and I know a lot I of people... I love that. that. Yes, exactly that. I mean, well, why did you love it? Because it, 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 because it showed the reality of these people's lives, and it gave an insight to people who might not know It's a Sin 
was about a group of gay boys and also addressed AIDS at the time and their relationship also with females and with older people and it was just very powerful and again it's to show simply that we are well I don't want to simplify it I don't know what Nicola meant to show but for me it meant that we're all human and we all have our demons and it was just it allowed us to look through a window and I love looking through windows and the light was on and we saw and I understood and I learned from it and I actually enjoyed watching it was real drama yeah thank you you. in the back of your mind are you hoping something like it's a sin which I think for older viewers who never really understood the whole AIDS crisis because it was set in the was it set in in the 80s it started in 1980 and it went through to 1990 yeah and we saw this this joyful group of young people setting out on their lives and I think for people who were slightly older in the 80s didn't really understand whether this was something being catastrophized whether it was the plague to end all plagues and I think the humanity was at the heart of it is that something that you're striving for when you tell your stories yeah absolutely I think nobody should be judged for who they are and I think you should try and understand everyone. It doesn't mean you have to like everyone, and it doesn't mean you have to want to spend time with everyone, but I don't think you should go around judging everyone. I think that's just got worse, actually, because yeah. we live with a generation who judge online every single minute that they're, you know, in leisure time. So I think to see, that, like you say, those boys who, you know, they were young, they were so young, and they were just doing what youngsters do when they leave home for the first time. They weren't doing anything wrong. And they ended up dying. And a lot of the reason they ended up dying, it's interesting, because it goes back to what we were talking about, about being able to talk with your family because they couldn't express themselves and they couldn't they felt shame and they felt that their families didn't want to know who they really were and I think that's why no one if, if they talked about it earlier the solutions which were relatively straightforward would have been talked about unless people would have died but there's just a sense of shame around that whole generation it's almost you're straying into kind of slight documentary territory because these you know they say I'm an old-fashioned person I and I live by the newspapers on the first page of history because the, the world that I work in but the same very all the more so with with audiovisual and yet your your next project is a, is a real throwback tell us about about the uh, the crossroads story so we're filming at the moment a drama called nolly that's written by russell t davis who also wrote it's a sin actually and actually it's not dissimilar even though it's a totally different story it's about noel gordon who was the star of crossroads which is a massive soap opera in the 70s and 80s um, 16 million viewers every episode she was the biggest star on television she won the Best Actress Award every single year. In fact, they invented a new award for her, which was Best Television Personality, so that someone else could win Best Actress. She was huge, and then one day, without any warning, she was fired from Crossroads, and no-one really understood why she was fired. And Crossroads died a death after Mm, she left, so it was a massive mistake. And what Russell's done is written a brilliant story about this enormous personality. She's a fantastic woman. She's, you know, uh, in some respects a monster, in some respects a delight. People loved her and were terrified of her at the same time. And he's looked at the the setup of television and of any kind of working environment at that time. When a woman got too powerful, then that, that woman has to be brought down. And that's what happens to her. And it's really, it's, it's just a great story. It's very funny because she's, she's absurd in so many ways, but it's also very moving. So I think by the end, you really feel for her and understand what she's been through. And, you know, I'm glad it's a different time now. I'm glad we've moved on from that to a certain degree. Do you remember Crossroads, Mrs Schindler? Did you used to watch it? I used to watch it. My aim was to get all three of them in bed for half past six. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
I joke not. Uh, so I could watch Crossroads. So you remember the original Noel Gordon? And so how did you feel when you heard that this was going to be? Oh, I was just. I told you ages ago, didn't I? Because Russell yeah. gave me um, her autobiography first of all, and I said it. I mentioned it to my mum yeah. just because there's so many things in it. Nicola seems remember. to remember watching Crossroads, but my view was <laughs> I you think, were in bed. But by it didn't finish till 1987, so I think the later <laughs> years I definitely watched it when it was in colour. But I do remember her, and she was fired in '82, so I must have watched it before then. Uh, and, yeah. But I, I want to pick up on something that you yeah. said that she was um, a very powerful lady yeah. and had to fall down you said it's not quite like that anymore I think I don't know what you think we've got two powerful formidable ladies here mm-hmm. and we've got Mr Schindler here too that man's nature is to be the the superpower the super ego and there is such a thing that the male person doesn't like to perceive the women as the mm-hmm. most powerful I personally think that we are just with our own biology and what we have to handle and deal with is there an art of making even though we know we are the superpowers making perhaps in your own relationships making the male feel that he's the most powerful do we have to do that even today in 2022 i have never felt the need to do that at all i think if someone can't deal with me then they should go somewhere else yeah i i don't (laughs) think it's my job is to my job is not to make anyone feel better about i mean i want everyone to feel good about themselves but i don't have to change my nature in order to make someone feel good so I although you do talk the talk in order but that's in order to get understood yeah Yeah, but I don't change who I am and I don't put anyone else I I, I don't I would like to think think that I have to put men on any kind of pedestal in order to get where I am what about you very different go on oh my goodness when I got married I just had to be a nice lady staying at home and looking after the children and making the tea. Okay. And that's good, that was good enough for me. How wonderful And tea. it was only, you know, as the three got older that I decided to wake up. <laughs> but even now, I would put my husband first. That's the way I was brought up, completely differently to you. Yeah. I mean, do you see my doing that? Yes, in some respects, definitely. But I, do, I think you've got a more equal relationship than maybe you think. Oh. Good. So there you go, you see, enlightenment. But I, what, what I love care. about your daughter, can I tell you, I mean, just while she's there, what I love about your daughter, amongst many other things, is this unassuming manner. There are so many women that feel they have to be the so-called, excuse me for using rude words in front of a teacher, uh, sort of ball breakers. They have to be badass because it's almost like there is so much of a point to prove. I mean, I always say I'm not a feminist, I'm an egalitarian. I want everybody to be judged on merit. Which is what feminism is. But the problem feminism is... Feminism is about equality. Feminism is about equality, but the problem is that when it becomes militant and people spoil for a fight... So you're not a militant feminist, I'm not you a, militant. a feminist. Yeah, but the problem is if women are spoiling for a fight over, should there be more females on banknotes rather than let's have the same number of banknotes, if not more than men, then sometimes the narrative gets confused. But, but what I was going to say about Nicola, I'm going to give you some nachos about your daughter, <laughs> is that she has charm. You don't, uh, Nicola, you don't seem to feel the need to kind of say, hello, I'm in the room, you know, like uh, Meryl Streep from The Devil Wears Prada. Good, I'm glad. But I do think there should be women on banknotes. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> I, okay. I, I think all of those things, I just think there's a way of doing See, it. I don't care, I'm... I know, I think it's really important. I think it's really important for my daughters. I think it's really important they have that sense of equality. But I don't think you need to do that in an aggressive way. I don't think anything gets done better if it's aggressive. Which very much reflects the kind of personality you seem to have, um, which which is what people want to be, you know, the nice you are to deal with without being nicey-nicey for the sake of it. Can I ask you, as a Jewish mother yourself, how do you mother your kids? 
Anything that reflects the way your mum did to you? Well, different in that I am working when my mum was always there to a certain age when I got home and everything. I work and they are very aware of that. And they're very used to me working while I'm talking to them. <laughs> they kind of just wait for the pauses and everything. But they are part of my work. So I think that I they feel very much connected to this place, to any work that I do. So it, it, I think that they don't feel excluded by my work. How do you do that? It's just everywhere. It's around me. I mean, I'm married to a writer, so we talk about work all the time, but in in an enjoyable way. I mean, that's what we like talking about. So they are used to walking in on discussions about scripts and storylines and whatever it might be at that particular and time. And they don't feel sidelined. I'm they asking that because my own children did. But, but, but it's never going to change. So they, no, they, they have look, to accept yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And I think they're light, and I think they're proud of it, and I think they're pleased with what it brings them. <laughs> so very much bad. But I would like to become there for them even if I'm not physically there for the long time. Did you ever tussle with, with the, the fabled maternal guilt? Because I always feel personally, uh, having gone freelance once my, um, my second son was born, I never did anything properly. I was never there fully as a mum and I was never there fully as a worker. But I really admire the women that say, this is the situation, this is how I'm going to mother, or Jewish mother for the purposes of the podcast, and I'm not going to use up the energy dealing with guilt. Were you able to no, get over I don't think, that? I think you'd have to be a magical person never to feel guilt or never to judge yourself. So, of course, I think that loads of times. I think I'm not here enough. I think I'm not at home enough. But I know I'm not going to change anything. Yeah. So I know fundamentally I couldn't stop working. So, therefore, everyone just has to deal with it in the end. But, no, of course I feel bad at times. And can we ask you, you, you mentioned your husband's Matt, who yeah. I had the great pleasure to meet recently at a charity function, and he's been involved in some very interesting projects. And um, when were, were you one of those Jewish mothers, Mrs Schindler, who was at the window looking at the boys who were bringing your daughter home? Did you have any kind of role in that? No, well, I was quite old by the time I met Matt, so yeah. think we were living but, in different houses. But generally growing up... I uh, was quite interesting. Yeah, you yes. were very involved. Yeah. <laughs> Did you match make, Mrs. Schindler? No, no, I tried. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I had this idea that my parents didn't choose my partner, so I better try and keep my nose out. It didn't always work. So in terms of the future, I mean, it's been absolutely riveting listening to both of you. Mrs Schindler, you've spent a career looking at children, analysing writing and trying to make them appreciate good writing. Did you hope that your daughter might become, with this prodigious talent, did you think maybe she would become a writer too? No, it never occurred to me. We, we just let them do exactly what they wanted to do. There were never any suggestions from me what you should do, was there? No, and I'm very much not a writer. Caroline, for example, chose comparative American studies. And what does she do now? What do your other two daughters do? The eldest one works works for Nicola. Oh, that's so nice. And the youngest daughter is um, some sort of counsellor in a school. Right, yeah. she works with sixth form college. Are you allowed to say special needs needs children? Yeah. She yeah, she's oh. a or some sort of counselling which I'm very proud of. So you must be proud of all of them. But yeah. but just sort of towards wrapping up, there must have been some quite glitzy perks of having a showbiz daughter. Oh, fantastic for me because I love that sort of atmosphere. <laughs> First of all, on a personal level, I've been an extra on most of Nicola's. Really? Really? What you say at the weekend, she's she's my Alfred Hitchcock. Is she? I love that. What have you done? Give us a couple of examples, please. Cracker. Give me a start with Cracker. But also, in It's the Same, you did have a big starring role with Stephen Fry. 
Oh, oh yeah. Oh, I'm going back. I'm oh, actually going to revisit the whole morning with students. Oh, I love right. <laughs> I love the whole idea drama. of famous people and. I think you well, love I the drama, Mrs. Schindler. I have to keep them away too much from the famous people because my mum has do no shame of going up and just saying. You? Oh, your mother's. Give my love to your delightful mother. She we is. spent the whole morning together, Stephen Fry and I. I have to, I've got a bit of it. <laughs> from appearing up at him. But my mum talks to the actors as if they are the characters that she remembers them <laughs> from, which they don't always appreciate. <laughs> really? So, so Anne Reid, for example, she talks to as if she was Valerie Barlow, yeah. which was 60 oh, years ago. so funny. Anne Reid was actually quite cross with me one morning. <laughs> She said to me, what are you doing here? I thought you were a teacher. And I said, I am a teacher. She said, well, why aren't you at school? So I said, well, actually, I came to see you doing some drama. She said, well, that's terrible. Terrible, terrible. <laughs> so that's the inversion of the Jewish mother. I mean, you must have had so much nachos being on, on site, on set. Oh, I love it. Who was the most enjoyable person you met, are you allowed to say? Oh, golly, I'm allowed to say, but I don't know who is it. The best part is that when I sit there minding my own business as an extra, everybody comes up to kiss me because they think that it will help get them get a part. <laughs> <laughs> and I it's don't... hysterical. I'm, I'm Nicholas' mum, this is Nicholas' Whereas mom. I can't bear being on set anyway, because you don't no, know you don't like it. And also I don't know anyone making a fuss. And everyone keeps bringing chairs and drinks. Do <laughs> you remember when somebody was following behind you? With a chair. With a chair. Yeah. It's an absolute joy to speak to both of you. How do you deal, finally for me, Nicola, with the fact that you are so front and centre in this full-on industry, and yet... You certainly come across as somebody who is unassuming, who's not sort of humble, yes. Yeah. Doesn't sort of, you know, I would be, have a T-shirt saying, I am really <laughs> successful, and scream every time I entered a room. How do you maintain that? I don't want any of those things. It's just who I am. I don't want people to either fawn over me or talk to me, really. I prefer yeah. to just go home <laughs> oh, okay. and have a bath and go to bed. I'm just, I'm happy doing what I do. I just don't think everything else should go with it. I don't understand why my industry gets all that silliness and no wonder why nurses don't get that or yes. doctors don't yes. or teachers yes. well I love what yeah. you could have yeah but I don't like all of that so, <laughs> so I'm I a bit an introvert so I'm very happy not taking advantage of all those things yeah. Mrs Schindler loves the drama but what comes across here with both of you is that warmth but also your wisdom Mrs Schindler I know from personal from having taught my three girls four four you did Orly as yeah. well so Mrs Schindler knows us inside out and you've cared and mentored for them. And Nicola does the same in a larger scale by being able to be the TV producer and teach us about humanity and human life stories. Ladies, what are your takeaway wisdoms? Because you must Can have I tell lots. Can the funniest thing, though, yes. that while you're saying all that, I've got a text from my middle child saying <laughs> she's got her final GCSEs tomorrow and she's Aww. just said... You know how you got Abby, which is her older sister, some perfume for her end of GCSEs? Can I have a laptop? So that's that's parents. I love that. It's just that that's parents. Can we put that on the podcast? Each time we do the Jewish Mother Week podcast, one of the things we like to do is hopefully give our listeners some kind of takeaway wisdom or some kind of inspirational ideas from the Jewish mothers who are with us or came before us. So we wondered, do you have what we call the takeaway wisdom? Just love your children and encourage them to do what they want to do. I would say exactly the same. Love your children for who they are, not for what you want them to be. And a final word to each other? Very proud of you, Dom. Thank you, I love you. Aww. I love you as well. 
Thank you. There's that a- deserves a clap. <laughs> You've been listening to the Jewish Mother Me podcast where our wonderful guests on this episode are Mrs. Gay Schindler, legendary teacher of English to decades of uh, children uh, who went to school in Manchester and her incredible daughter Nicola who has brought so much joy, entertainment and wisdom through the drama production she brings to our screen. So thank you so much for joining us. Jewish Mother Me is produced by Phil Salter for Northern Air Productions and if you want to hear some of our previous episodes you can find us on Google, Spotify, Apple, Amazon and lots of other platforms too. And if you'd like to get in touch, please don't hesitate to contact us via our Facebook page, Jewish Mother Me. So from me, Angela. And Noemi. Bye-bye. See you soon. (laughs)